Hello, listeners. Welcome to another insightful episode. I'm your host, Grace Hopper, for Raza, Rising Above Shadows of Abuse. Educate to Eradicate Violence Against Women and Girls by Other Women or Women on Women Abuse. Some women don't like abuse happening to them, but feel it's all right for it to happen to another woman. So much for sisterly support. In this edition of Raza, we look at how other women, often sister-in-law or mother-in-laws, are responsible for instigating conflicts and therefore indirect instigators of provoking and perpetuating abuse against other women. In many cases, it is the men who are their partners who are unable to resolve the conflict that the other family members particularly females, instigate. Why is Bushra not divorced? She's got three daughters. Her husband should have divorced her by now. Even though he was the one doing the beating up, it was the women in the background saying all the derogatory things that was making him to lash out at me. Why is the shame on us women, not on the perpetrator? Other women tell them to remain quiet as otherwise you're actually encouraging it. He would say... I didn't want to do it. You made me do it. He never ever accepted responsibility. He never accepted that he did anything wrong. Another woman who experienced abuse said to me, quote, think yourself fortunate. At least you weren't stripped naked and pushed out of the door after being beaten by your husband. End of quote. Bushra was being abused by her husband and yet he was unable or unwilling to confront his sister-in-law's regarding the constant verbal and shaming abuse she was being subjected to by them. Neither was he prepared to engage in conflict resolution. His excuse for his inaction was that he was respecting both his sisters-in-law and his brothers stating they were all older than him. Yet, despite this fawning attitude to them, he was unable to accept that he was failing to respect his own wife. This eventually led to Bushra and her husband divorcing. Yet, 22 years later, the conflict between her and the sisters-in-law still hadn't been resolved, in part due to the inability of these women to face up to their own misogyny towards another female family member. In some societies... It is accepted that no matter how many children you already have, you should keep producing children until you have a son. It is also accepted wisdom, despite having absolutely no scientific basis, that you can take a pill of some sort or change the girl's names and a son will be conceived. This was the uncontested attitude of Bushra's extended family in Pakistan. The ultimate irony, and one that both the sisters-in-law appear to be completely unaware of, is that neither of them have given birth to boys and have not been divorced by their husbands for these perceived failings as women. I have the pleasure of introducing Bushra Kershid, an occupational psychologist. Welcome, Bushra. Hello, thanks for having me. You're welcome. Today's topic, like I said earlier on, is a very interesting and explosive expose. It's about violence against women and girls by women. I have not really heard about women who abuse each other. Kindly tell me what you mean by this. Firstly, I'm going to just distinguish between two points. One is domestic violence and domestic abuse. 
I like to use the word abuse because it covers all forms of abuse, verbal, emotional, psychological, sexual, financial, rather than if you say domestic violence to someone, they think it's physical and somebody's beating each other up. Um, violence against women and girls at the hands of other women. Generally, when we talk about violence against women and girls, we tend to think of it as um, men beating women up. And there's no excuse for any kind of violence. So, you know, throughout this, I'm not making any excuse for a man behaving in a certain way. I'm just trying to highlight the fact that sometimes men um, are, may not want to abuse the women, but because there's a woman in the background who's um, egging, in or, or egging him on, he may be the one who actually abuses the woman. But like I say, I'm not making any excuses because at the end of the day, the man is the perpetrator if he's the one that's slashed out on the woman. So would you like to um, talk a bit about yourself, please? Okay. So have I been abused in the past? Um, well, yes, I have been abused by a man, my ex-husband, and I've been abused by women as well. So by my husband, I've been uh, physically abused as well as um, verbal, as well as financial, emotionally and by the women, I may not have been abused physically by them, but I have had verbal and emotional abuse by women. Yeah, I have. When we were discussing the other time, you talked about um, conflict resolution. What do you mean by conflict resolution? Okay, so what I mean by conflict resolution is uh, when there is a dispute between two or more people, how can one person maybe the person in the middle, maybe an independent person, how they can solve the problem at hand so that the parties who are having an argument, how the third person or the independent person can find a peaceful solution to the disagreement amongst them. So the disagreement may be personal, it might be financial, it might be a disagreement in the workplace between two colleagues. So it's how the, a person can find a resolution for that, for the conflict. So, for example, if it was in my case, and I, I'm going to elaborate in my case in a minute. So, for example, conflict resolution in my case would be how my ex-husband did, or in my case, didn't um, resolve a conflict between me and members of his family. Okay. So, how long did you put up with this, and are you still married to him? Okay, so... Um, I put up with my um, abuse for a number of years, and I would say at least approximately 10 years. And um, what happened is, I'll, I'll go through it. I'll um, uh, start at the beginning of uh, how and what happened. So um, shortly after um, we were married, um, I had three children. So I had my first daughter about a year after, then two years later, another one came. And then a little bit after that, I had a third child and the third child was another daughter. So now, six years later, after I've been married, I've got three daughters. Um, you know what? By this stage, I might have had, you know, I, I, I don't know if I would call I've called it an abuse at that time because I wouldn't have called it abuse at that time because all marriages go through rocky patches. So I would have said rocky patches. Everyone has an argument now and again. So I wouldn't necessarily yeah. say having an argument is abuse. That's but true. When I, so when I went, um, so six years um, after I had my three daughters, um, so my the youngest daughter was three months old. 
and uh, we decided to go back home and my back home is my heritage is I'm a Pakistani so we, we went to Pakistan to attend a wedding now I was literally only there for three weeks for this wedding and within the first few days um, I had people starting saying to me oh you know like this this and this because you've got a daughter why are you not divorced why you know we can give you pills to have a boy name her so and you know name your uh, youngest daughter change her name name her so and so you'll have a son now the main thing what really really upset me and why um you know the abuse in my marriage i would say actually started is because yeah. on one occasion um, my husband is the youngest of six brothers yeah and um he's uh, got five older brothers and naturally they were married and he, there were five sister-in-laws so um, they lived in a house where um, two uh, brothers and two wives shared a house. They ran it as separate houses, like you could say, you know, flats within a home. Yeah, but they lived in the same home. So I, I, I'm, what I'm going to do is I'm going to actually, to make it easy, I'm going to say um, woman A and woman B. So they both might, they would both be his sister-in-laws. So one is woman A and one is woman B. So I went to live with woman A because I got on with her a bit better than woman B. But I got on with both of them. So one day I went into the um, you know, house of woman B and because the two women didn't get on themselves, they were having issues before I got there. Five of his brothers lived back home in Pakistan. He's the only one that lives in this country. So I never lived with any of my sister-in-laws because I was not in the same country. Now, these women had had a fight before I got there. And um, so woman B, I went to see her and then she just started the same things about woman A. And, you know, because obviously she was upset or you didn't like the fact that I was spending time with woman A. And it wasn't necessarily that she had something against me. It's just the fact that she was probably trying to break me up with the other one because they had a conflict. Yeah. So she said to me, so woman B said to me, well, do you know what woman A has been saying about you? She's been saying, oh, why is Busha not divorced? She's got three daughters. Her husband should have divorced her by now. She says, why does Busha uh, dress in a certain way or look in a certain way? She's thinking she looks beautiful. Well, actually, she doesn't look beautiful. She's actually pretty ugly. So woman B said these kind of things to me, probably so that I would hate woman A. But at that time, um, like I said, I was only there for a short amount of time and I didn't want to start arguments. But I did privately say to my husband, look, you know, this is the issue. This is what's happening. And um, I also said it to his uh, sister. He only had one sister. And I said it to her and she was actually nice enough. She said, look, you know, they've got a conflict um, amongst themselves. They shouldn't really involve you in any of their uh, conflicts. But my husband, you know, the person who I would expect to um, defend me, have my back. I mean, they're not just my daughters, they're his daughters as well. So um, I would have expected to him to literally this thing could have been sorted out you know what, within a couple of hours, he could have brought both of his sister-in-laws in and said, you know what, these girls are my daughters. They're not just Bushers on her own. They, she didn't bring them into the marriage. They're our daughters. I have no problem with having um, three girls or 10 girls. So if you have anything to say, can you say that thing to me and don't say anything to her again? And actually that would have probably been the end of it. It could have been sorted out there and then. But instead... It went on and on and on. And you know what? 22 years later today, it still has not been sorted. I still 
you know what I mean my day-to-day I get on with it but internally I still live with that agony that it was never sorted out I still wish that conflict had been sorted out but um I mean obviously it doesn't affect me day-to-day I never see these people so um but it does hurt that this man who should have had my back every time I approached him every time I asked him to sort it out he would say you know what I've spent a lot of time with these women with these people in Pakistan I can't say anything to them they're a lot older than me. I respect them. And if I said, well, you know what, it's affecting me, this, that and the other. And we just talked about conflict resolution because he had no conflict resolution skills. He couldn't sort anything out. When it got too much for him, he talked with his fist. So when he couldn't talk with his mouth anymore, after a few minutes, the anger built up and he would lash out. And you know what, I was a punching bag. So he got physical because of what you explained to him that he needed to speak up on your behalf and the, the behalf of uh, the children, so to speak. Yeah. So because he couldn't say anything to the parties involved because he respected them too much, obviously he wasn't respecting me, he would beat me up. And he would beat me up because the other women in the background had said X, Y, and Z. So although he was the one doing the beating up, it was the women in the background who were saying all these derogatory things that were making him, you know, lash out at me. He wasn't thinking, you know, you know, with his head and thinking, well, this needs sorting. But yeah, it was because of other people. And you know what? This continued for many, many years. I mean, at that time, it was that one thing. After that, they might have said to him, you know, when it came to something like sorting out the inheritance or financial stuff there in Pakistan after his parents passed away. They would say, you know, you're you're okay living abroad. You know, you have all these things. We might not have this. And then when I would say, well, you, you know, it's your inheritance, whatever, he would then lash out at me again because he couldn't say anything to them. There was many reasons why there was a woman in the background or a family member in the background that would say things, whisper in his ear, as it were, and then the physical abuse, the 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 swearing the arguments they were all for me hmm. so in essence they were the instigators that's right it was the women at the back and a few men but women at the back who were the instigators definitely people wanting me to have more children women would say to me it doesn't matter you know so and so had so many daughters they've got a son it was like keep producing kids until you have a son name your child this it was always a woman in the background you know, occasionally, yeah, there might have been, um, after every five women, there might have been a man as well who might have said, Bushra, I, I can give you pills, you can have a son. But most of the stuff at the background was by women. That's really tough. So you're still talking about violence against women and girls by women. What are the examples you can give me? For okay. example, FGM. Yeah. FGM, you just cited your sister-in-law's. And, you know, some mother-in-laws, like I heard uh, recently that um, there was a lady who was working. You know, she was married and was working. And I think the mother-in-law was living with them. Unfortunately for, for this poor lady, she was being um, financially abused. The mother-in-law and the husband made sure that her wages were paid into their bank account. I mean, how incredulous can this be? That's that's really awful. Yeah. And you know what? You say that. I have heard things like that as well in the past 
where, yeah, in a joint family system, they will financially abuse, uh, you know, the daughter-in-law or the sister-in-law, you know, who might be working and have forced her to put income into the husband's account. So she has no control of the money so they can have the total control. If they have financial control, you know, it's often that they have control over everything else as well because financial control happens to be a big thing because if you control them financially, you can control what they wear because they might not be able to afford to go and buy whatever they want. You can control what they eat. You can control where they go, what they can't go because they can't afford to go out. They might want to spend time with their family, uh, with the, their friends, but they can't because they just don't have the money to go anywhere. But yeah, and, and you know what, a lot of the, like you, you just mentioned FGM briefly. FGM is, is actually a woman abusing another female, a little kid, a little daughter, a little girl, you know? So the aunt, the mother, the elders, the elderly women, they've suffered this themselves. They know the trauma. They know how much pain they went through. They know what they can and can't do, you know, in intimate parts of their life. Yeah, you know, 20, 25 years later, when they have a child of their own, they're inflicting that same pain. That pattern continues. The woman goes on to, well, it is abuse. FGM is, a, is abuse. So they go on it to is. abuse. Yeah. So they go on to abuse that little girl. So the women, instead of, you know, women educate to eradicate, we would say, wouldn't we? You have to educate these people to try to eradicate the problem. So, for example, yes. we have to educate them that this is a wrong practice to eradicate the problem. In my example before, with having three girls, you know, why should it be a woman who is being divorced because she can't have a son? You know, biology tells us, X and Y chromosomes tell us, a female only has X chromosomes. A man has X and Y chromosomes. To have a male child, you have to have the X and the Y chromosome. To have a female child, you have to have the X and the X. So the gender of the child is actually determinant on the chromosome of the father. So it should actually, you know what? These people who say, why is the woman not divorced because she's got three daughters? Well, actually, let's turn that on its head. They should be lucky that their son, their brother-in-law, their nephew, whatever, hasn't been divorced because he is unable to have the son. You know, the woman can only produce an X chromosome. The man is determining the gender of that child. The man obviously isn't, you know, producing his Y chromosome. So it should be him who should be divorced. It should be him who should be separated. It should be him who should be given these medicines to, and it should be him who should be held responsible, not the woman. Well, actually, no one should be held responsible because it's just a natural thing, whether you have a girl or a boy. But if you are so illiterate or so jealous or so whatever, that bitter, anything, you know what? Have that against the man, not against the woman. So educate to eradicate would be a really, really good policy. Yeah, that's, that's the word, educate to eradicate. The, uh, the the traditions and culture that don't serve us anymore. So do you really think some women are purposely um, getting other women abused? Do you know what? Personally, hand on heart, I think yes. I think a lot of it is intentional. So for example, if it is a woman saying, well, why is she not divorced? Obviously it's intentional. It can't be 
you know, it can't just be unintentional saying, oh, yeah, go out and divorce, whatever. They know what they are saying. They were women themselves. You know, in my case, the person who said it to me was a woman herself. Her dad didn't divorce her mum for producing her. And you know what? There's many examples of this kind of thing. And there was one example I was reading actually many years ago. And it was an example of um, a woman, you know, um, in high position of power. Now, this woman, I mean, she's passed away now. She's, you know, not alive. So this woman who had exceptional amount of power, her husband had a string of affairs. Now, this woman who was a powerful woman, she didn't, um, you know, let it be knowledge or didn't want it to be public knowledge that her husband was having these affairs. But what I heard, I mean, I don't know if it's true, but it was a lot of media um, attention on this. She would have the women that her husband was having affairs with, she would have them raped. Now, that is intentional. She knew that what she was doing was wrong. You, you know, getting somebody raped, you know, whether it's That's in war. Awesome. Yeah. So she couldn't say anything to her husband. So intentionally, this woman was hurting other women. She was doing the violence against other women, being a woman herself. She should have had her husband castrated, not had the other women raped. Well spoken, or oh, was really unfortunate that these women had to go through such um, harrowing ordeal. Definitely, or because this woman was in power. Yeah. So coming coming back, so coming back to your relationship, did you ever ask your husband why he was putting other women before you, before his wife and children? Why was he abusive towards you for this, for their sake? Okay, so firstly, I'd just like to say, I don't think he ever thought he was abusing his daughters. Just because he wasn't hitting his daughters, he didn't think he was abusing them. Although quite clearly, we know that in relationships where there's violence or any kind of abuse against the mother or the partner, the partner of the man and the mother of the children, the child abuse is occurring in that house. And yes, I do think, um, I did ask him on many occasions, and he had many replies to this. He would say, well, they're older than me. You know, I, I can't say anything back to them. I spent my whole childhood with these women when I was back to in Pakistan. So I can't say anything to, to them. And then he would say, well, you used to be the one talking to these women. These women used to be your friends. Surely that was a positive for me. I was making an effort with his family. If he can only hand on his heart, say I was their friends, I did a really good job of being good, nice to his family that he thought we were friends. But yeah, most of the time it was because he didn't want to say anything to them because he thought they were his elders. He thought he spent a lot of time with them. He thought he might have been disrespecting his brothers if he said anything to his wives. So yeah, so I did ask him on many occasions, but it was only because he thought he was respecting them. But indirectly, he was not respecting me. I don't think that was respect. I think he was just being timid. He was afraid of them. That could be a point as well. He may have been afraid of them. I think he may have been afraid of his brothers. But what I, all whatever he ever, ever said to me was, I've spent too much time with them. They're much older than me and I can't disrespect them. So it's okay for you to disrespect your wife and kids who haven't done anything wrong. But it's okay to keep respecting the people who are quite clearly, you know, doing the wrong thing and being abusive. And destroying his marriage as well. Exactly. 
he destroyed his relationship with with his partner definitely with me and you know maybe he hasn't destroyed it with his daughters or maybe he has I mean I can only say you know what the his daughters love him he's their father yes but internally you know they might be hurt by it their whole life's relationships in future you know however they've grown up whatever they've been through it's going to have an effect on them in how they make relationships in the future that's the sad thing about it though i know that is the sad thing but unfortunately they don't see that so did he ever resolve the issue between his two sister-in-laws as to who said what no so 22 years later even today i can tell you the matter is unresolved. No, he did not sort anything out with his, uh, um, he did not have the three of us in a room and be there to sort the conflict out. Like we talked about conflict resolution. The three of us should have been put in a room. Did woman A actually say it? Did woman B actually make it up so that uh, I hated woman A? You know what, really, you know, I, I still don't know to, to this day. I mean, I have a good idea of who might have said it, but I still don't know actually who said it so have you ever spoken to any of the two men again i have i've spoken to one of them again so woman b the one who told me that woman a said this i haven't spoken to again but woman a who's been accused of saying these things i have spoken to and the reason being is um actually you know what i'm gonna say this here um the really horrible thing or the strange thing you know what both women a and b don't have a son themselves one of them has really? got one daughter yep one of them has one daughter and one of them has two daughters none of them have a son so whichever one of them two said it how did they have the audacity to say that to me when they do not have a son themselves and their husbands did not divorce them one of them had one child she was unable to have any further children and the other one had two daughters and was, uh, was unable to have any more children after that or didn't choose to have any more children after that. You know what? I mean, it's bad enough for a woman who has sons of her own to say to somebody else, but come on, if you're a woman who's got no sons of your own, how the hell then can you say it to somebody else? And both of them didn't have it and they did uh, say it to me. But no, the issue never ever got resolved. And yeah, I did keep in, I have seen one woman again, and like I said, it's it's a bit of a difficult situation because that girl's daughter, so my husband's niece, she makes the effort with me. She's always made the effort with me since she was like a young teenager to keep in touch with me, to keep in touch with her cousins, my daughters. So because that girl's so nice and she's made so much effort with me, I always do try to go and see her. And because I see her and she's living with her mother, I have no choice but to speak to her. With the other one, you know, nobody made an effort with me and I've never spoken to her again for 22 years. Okay. So which means you, you, you have not really patched up things with this woman? No, I haven't patched up um, anything with any of these two women. Although um, I would like to. You know, I don't like unresolved issues. And even today, if I was given the opportunity to patch it up with them, I would really, really like to, you know what, at that time, you know, with whatever was going on in their personal lives, this happened to me. I would like to think 
that they may have changed. I would like to think that all of our children are grown up. You know, maybe they could see the error in their ways and everything could be, you know, nice. I mean, it's wishful thinking, but it would maybe be a resolution for us all. So I live in the hope that maybe one day we can sort it out. I mean, I know it's been a long time and for my part, it's been 22 years. And for my part, I was the one who was that, who was the recipient of it. Even still, I do hope in my heart that one day it can be sorted and one day everything can be okay. That's actually um, splendid. I mean, it shows that you've really forgiven them. You're yeah. not harboring any resentment or bitterness towards them again. Unfortunately, the only resentment and bitterness is towards my ex-partner. Because, you know what, he could have sorted this out. It was him that I lived with, not them. You know, they were in another mm. country, although they were affecting me psychologically on a day-to-day basis. They weren't affecting me in my personal life, but he was. And what the most hurtful part is, what he was doing to me was hurting my children. And I think for that, I can't ever, you know, you know, they say forgive and forget. I say sometimes you can't forgive, sometimes you can't forget, but you can try to move on. And I try to do that on many occasions. I try to move on, you know, even though I couldn't forgive and forget. But, you know, it didn't happen. And that he's the, probably the person that I probably couldn't forgive, even though I might have been able to forgive, you know, the instigators behind it. Because he was the one punching me. He was the one. He didn't have to. You know, you don't have to listen to women in the background. You know, the mother-in-law, the sister-in-law, you know, we don't have to you, um, listen to that kind of stuff. So, yeah. Okay. So, um, has your ex-husband ever accepted responsibilities for his actions? No, he hasn't. He always says, I didn't want to do this, but you made me do it. You know the classic line? I didn't want to do it, but you made me do it. That's what I always had. I didn't want to do it. You made me do it. He never, ever accepted responsibility. He never, ever accepted that he did anything wrong. You know, he never accepted any of these things. You know, what? I just realized you asked me a question before to give you an example of um, other types of um, violence. You know, women yeah. on women. And I mentioned yeah. FTM. You yeah. know, in my culture, in many cultures, we have, um, you know, like the mother-in-law and daughter-in-law relationship. So yes. a mother will wait for her son to come home. So they might live in an extended family in my culture. And, you know, these two women, the mother-in-law, daughter-in-law have conflict. You know, it's always to do with power struggle, I think, within a home. So she waits for her son to come home. As soon as he comes home through the door, you know, she say, oh, your um, wife's been doing this or she's been doing this. And then because... You know what? He, I'm not making an excuse for him. Like I said at the beginning, I'm not going to make an excuse for a man's behaviour because obviously he's the one with the bad behaviour at the end of the day. Yeah. But, you know, he may be tired. He may have had a long day. We don't know what he's gone through at work. So when he comes home, he, you know, his um, mother says this, this and this to him. He just lashes out at his wife, whether it's, verbally you know swearing at her or whether he's raised his hand at her and if we switch that the wife might be waiting for her husband to come home 
So she waits for her husband to come home. She takes him into a room and she says, oh, you know what? Your mum was doing this, this and this. And you know what? He may not be physically abusive towards his parents, but he could be verbally abusive towards them just because both of the women have been the instigators at the back. Yes, the man was the one who ultimately did the abuse, whether it was you know, physical abuse towards his wife, whether it was verbal abuse towards mm -hmm. his parents. But behind the scene, it was the mother or the wife that has put, instigated it and, you know, led to the action of violence that he's committed. So there's so many things where the women have at, in the background, um, you know, instigated um, that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's quite interesting because I had my own experience whereby um, my husband um, actually beat me up and fortunately, or would I say unfortunately, the sister called, my sister-in-law called and she saw that I was crying and I was, you know, shouting that, oh, um, and I was shouting and telling her, oh, your brother just beat me up now and he's he's left the house because I was, I was, we're chasing each other. So he decided to, to leave the house. And she said, oh, he just beat you up. I said, yes. And she asked me, do you know where he's gone to? I said, I don't know where he's gone to. She said, anyway, um, yours is still okay. I said, what do you mean? And she said, oh, my husband, she, my sister-in-law was the one telling me now that my her husband used to beat her up. And um, after beating her up, we strip her naked and push her out of the door, out of the house. And I was so angry and I asked her, I say, I said to her, so are you telling me that because your, your brother just beat me up, he didn't strip me naked and push me out of the door, that was still okay. It's unacceptable. I was so, so upset and I said, so are you telling me that it's okay for your brother to beat me up? Wow. So she was just allowing it to happen. And, and then from that day onwards, the respect I had for this woman diminished. Because wow. indirectly she was telling me, you know, I was being beaten up. It was still okay. After all, I was not stripped naked and pushed out like she, her own husband was doing to her. I found yeah. that a bit um, unacceptable, barbaric, you know. And in a way, I felt she was kind of colluding with the brother. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's what I mean. Like, yeah, she was the one at the background not doing anything when she could have actually of helped you out being another woman she knew if it was happening to her you know she you know many times women don't like it happening to them but it's okay to happen to somebody else which is what you've said she didn't like it happening to her but it was okay for to side with her brother when it was happening to you now you know recently um um i there was a, a woman who came to me and um she said that she told i say a woman you know she was young and um, she came to me and she said that she told her mum about the fact that as a child, she'd, um, you know, had um, sexual violence against her to, by another man. And um, her mother said to her, oh, don't worry about it. It's OK. It's happened to most of us. Your child has just made up, you know, has just built up the courage after years to tell you what's happened to her. And you just turn around and say, don't worry, it's happened to most of us. How can you as a woman just allow that pattern to continue happening? You didn't like it happening to you as a child. And you just say to your child, it doesn't matter. It happened to all of us. 
What kind of a mother is that, actually? Wow, I know. I was I was cobsmacked when I heard that. You know, this young person had come up to me and said, I told my mother, I actually, after nine years, plucked up the courage to tell my mum this child abuse happened to me because this person was still in their life. So it was somebody close to them that had done it to her. And the mother just said, it's, don't worry, it's happened to most of us. This is unbelievable. Yeah. No, I just remembered that from what you're saying with your sister-in-law, where they don't say anything. And this is the mother saying, don't worry about it. It's happened to all of us. But the difference is that this is your own child. Yeah. The, the child you bore in your womb for nine months. You should be protective towards her. I know. I know. And instead, she just said, don't worry, it's happened to all of us. I know. I can't I, believe this. It's unbelievable, yeah. actually. Some things some women do. Yeah. Just like the FGM. You know how terrible it is, but you can, you know, keep doing it. You know, so sometimes, yeah, it's cultural things like FGM might be cultural. Um, some things are maybe, you know, to do with our society. What, what will somebody else say? What will the person down the road say? You know, how can we say, you know, somebody close to us is being raped? You know, the shame is, shame is on us. Why is the shame on us? Why is the shame not on the perpetrator? You know, exactly. so the woman is being told to keep quiet the whole time because it's bringing shame to her culture or her family or her society. So the women are instigating it still, telling people to be, telling girls and other women to remain quiet. And when you say women should remain quiet, they should be silent. You're actually encouraging the act. 100%. You're actually encouraging the perpetrators to continue and continue and continue it. One time, I had a young woman around 30 years old say to me that she wished her mother-in-law would die. She said that the mother-in-law dictates everything to her son who then listens to his mother and wants to cut for her. She was married for around two years and she was living in her mother-in-law's house. She's now moved out, but her husband has stayed with his mum. She desperately wants a relationship with her husband, but the mum just won't let him. To be fair, I think this kind of man actually isn't worth fighting for if he's not even going to stick up for her and they have a kid if he's not even going to stick up for them and he's letting the abuse happen then really he's not worth fighting for and she should actually be glad that she's got rid of them both the reason why I'm saying it is because the abuse that she's tolerated for the mother-in-law to wish her dead can you imagine how much she must be going through a woman you know who's wishing another woman dead obviously she must be the recipient of a lot of abuse to wish that one one time I remember um, a woman was talking to me and um, I think it was because her husband, uh, sorry, it was because her son was being abusive to the daughter-in-law and I must have questioned it. And she turned around and she said to me, well, actually in the Quran, it says that the man can hit the woman. I was just so gobsmacked. How, as a woman, can you actually say that the Quran says you know, that the man is allowed to hit the woman just because it was her son hitting his wife. You know what? If the Quran had said her husband can hit her, well, she'd been happy with that. I can't believe the lengths that women go to sometimes to, you know, overlook or encourage, you know, abuse against the other woman, that the Quran says it. You know what? The Quran, them, there is a slight little thing that if you disagree, you know, you can... Um, well, it doesn't say you can slap her or whatever, 
because you're not allowed to leave a mark on her or hit her hard or whatever. But you have to see that in context. And the context that the Quran has said it, I th- you know what, I'm not going to say it hasn't because everyone's now, every listener is going to go to the Quran and see what's mentioned. So what it is, is in context. So if she's been unfaithful, maybe, or something, you know, it gives you all the things, steps that you should do first. You know, all the steps that you should try to sort it out, all the steps that, you know, you shouldn't be together anymore, say, you know, and as a last resort, he may be able to do, you know, just, you know, slightly hit her or, I mean, I say hit her, I mean, lightly tap her or something to show his annoyance. But it doesn't say you can just hit her because she's a major food, right? Or you can hit her because she woke up a bit late or all the reasons that this lady was making an excuse well in the Quran it says you can hit her no everything has to be read in in the narrative it was meant to be in everything has to be read in context is that it yeah and that was as a last resort after you've tried mediation after you've tried you know everything else and it was in context of like I say if she's been unfaithful not just for any other thing that people think they can make that excuse for now. No, the Quran does not say that, that you can hit a woman for, you know, all these petty reasons that, you know, that she's getting abused for. No, I, I will say it does not say that at all. And you know what, all the people who are going to go and read it now and say, well, actually it does say it, they have to read it in context and think of all the other things that come first for resolution and the one context that it's mentioned in. So there were things that are probably the to, to leave behind. So one, how can a woman wish for another woman to be, be divorced for having daughters when the gender of the baby is dependent on the man? When you know another woman is getting physically abused because of your actions, why are you encouraging the perpetrator? Point three, if you didn't like abuse happening to you, don't encourage it to happen to another woman. If you didn't like your husband doing it to you, then why are you encouraging that behaviour in your son? adultery affairs etc why are they always considered the fault of the other woman and it's always the other woman that's punished so um on one occasion but this has happened on many occasions on one occasion um somebody said a lady's um husband was having an affair and she blamed the other woman you know why is she doing this why is she doing that and i said to her hang on a minute let's stop right here i said that lady hasn't got anything to lose. Why is it always, why are you blaming the other woman for having the affair? Why are you not blaming your husband for having the affair? You haven't once said to me, my husband is at fault for having the affair. It's always, she was pursuing my husband. No, your husband was obviously pursuing her too. You know what? He, he wasn't forced. She didn't drag him or whatever, take him, you know, by the neck and take her, take him to her bed. He obviously went. And I said to her, listen, you, you have to blame your husband and your husband only. Your husband is the one at fault. He had the family to lose. The other woman had nothing to lose. So, you know, in, in situations like this, how many times you've probably heard it as well. I remember when I was working at, you know, for the civil service, when it was, you know, the uh, woman was always saying, like, say, for you know, the typical thing that you hear, the him having an affair with his secretary, and it's always the secretary's fault or the PA's fault. No, it's your husband's fault. You it's always a woman. The woman is always still blaming the other woman that she instigated the affair. You can only blame your own. He had you to lose. He had your kids to lose. She had nothing to lose. 
you know, but and uh, women want one rule. Oh, yeah, women want one rule for their daughters and another rule for their daughter-in-laws. You know, they want their daughters to be kept in a nice way. They want nice husbands for their daughters, but it's okay for their sons to do that to their daughter-in-laws. So one rule for the daughter and one rule for the daughter-in-laws. How many times do we get that as well? A lot That's of time. <laughs> yeah. So talking about violence against women by women, is there any other example we can give that it's um, common knowledge or commonplace, especially in the UK? Yeah, okay. So um, what I would say is um, we've all read media stories about um, Meghan and Kate and uh, how it's the women, the wives of the two brothers that have actually, because they've had this struggle to be top dog or you know, how much limelight they're getting in the media. You know, that is the two women in the background because of they not getting on or because of their power struggle that they've um, made the brothers now not talk to each other and have a conflict with each other. So look, even at that level, you know, I mean, I don't know how much truth is in there as we all know with media, how much do you believe? But the media is suggesting that it's the two women who have in the background have caused the men in the front to disagree or to fight with each other. So there you go. It's another aspect of uh, violence against women and girls. Okay, it's not um, a physical violence, but as we said, violence comes in many forms. So you know what, with the um, thing about being, you know, having the power struggle, the media is allowing us to believe even that was the uh, fault of the women. It's always in the media it's as if it's a competition between the two um, duchesses, Kate and Meghan, or Kate is wearing this, Meghan is wearing that. I mean, it's it's not a competition. They're supposed to be a unified um, front, a unified family. The unresolved issues are resolved within the two brothers. We're praying for that, actually. Yeah, it would be nice. I do like, I mean, I'm... I, I do like the Queen. I am a monarchist. My girls keep telling me, Mum, you're such a monarchist. You know what? I do like the Queen. And after the Queen, yeah, I do. I did like them two brothers. So I do like them two brothers. I don't know about anyone else in the royal family, but the Queen and the two brothers probably. Yeah, it'd be nice thinking that, you know, even though if the women got on themselves, it would be lovely to see them getting on and being a room and supporting each other and supporting other women in the process. You're quite right. We want to see the Fab Four together again. Yeah. So, some women suffer from this kind of traumatic experience, like we've just shared now, being met to that by other women. What psychological interventions would you explore with them? Okay, so if somebody, for example, came to me and they said they were, you know, they had some trauma or some PTSD or something post-traumatic um, stress disorder, um, the main treatments for something like that is a talking therapy. And um, by talking therapy, I mean therapies like CBT, uh, cognitive behaviour therapy, um, psychodynamic therapy. But usually the one that is used is CBT and it's available on the NHS. So there's um, two ways that you can have access to, well, three ways you can have access to CBT. Firstly is obviously if you go and see a privately a psychologist. But the other two ways are you can go to your GP and start the ball rolling, ask for a referral. But actually, these days you can actually refer yourself. So you can get an assessment from a psychological therapy service. 
So the talking therapies will help you go through the trauma that you've um, gone through in your past. And what they do is, what cognitive behaviour therapy does is, it uh, looks to um, change any negative thinkings and behaviours into positive thinking and behaviours. So trauma-based CBT uses a range of psychological techniques um, to help people to come to terms with their traumatic events. So the therapist may ask someone to go through their traumatic memories by describing them in a lot of detail. And um, what they will do is at each stage, so when the person is describing it in detail, the therapist will help the person to cope with any of the distresses at that point. Because while they're talking about it, each time they're reliving it, you know, the trauma might uh, reignite. So at that time, the therapist is there on hand at least to help them cope. So what it is, is um, they would offer eight to 12 weekly sessions, the talking therapy, the CBT. And um, they would help you just to, yeah, go through it with your past and then try to change all their negative thinkings and behaviours into the positive ones. And then hopefully every time you think about it, you may be able to think of it, not the trauma, but you know how you deal with that trauma in a more positive way. So in a way, uh, the, the psychologists kind of reparent re the client. Yeah, they're helping them to deal with not just their trauma, obviously that is first, but to go through throughout their life now, because they will teach them a skill of how, because they would have like between eight and 12 sessions with them, say between 60 and 90 minutes. So they've had, you know, a number of hours, days, weeks to work with their uh, psychologist. And the psychologist, what they do is from one week to the next week, you know, they will say to you, well, you know, from this week to next week, when you think about something in this way, if you stop and, you know, think, how am I dealing with this situation? And then think, well, actually, what is a better way of thinking about this um, incident? So they're training you of how every time you can change the, and your negative thought process into a more positive one. So talking therapists are really, really, really good for um, trauma and for PTSD. But there are there are um, a couple of other um, ways that they can deal with. The one is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. I actually don't know much about this, so I can't really talk about it and let you know what it is. And the okay. third one is medicines. So they're usually um, antidepressants, various types of antidepressants that have been given. But I would say, you know, with anything in life, before um, going on to antidepressants, which is quite a you know quick fix that doctors or gps try to get you on always insist on having a talking therapy first because talking antidepressants are not going to get rid of the problem they might be getting rid of the symptoms but they're not getting rid of the problem talking therapies might be you know helping you to deal with the underlying issues that you've got and then if if that is not working as well then if you have a combination but before um somebody does well, I say somebody, before a GP does try to give you antidepressants, always try to get, you know, the talking therapy first. Are psychologists always aware of the client's presenting issues and the interventions needed? If not, how long does it take to be aware? Okay, so psychologists usually, um, and not initially, but they would have a pretty good idea of um, a lot of the issues that um, people come in with. Obviously, not every issue, but um, like within the first or the second um, session that they have, 
you know, from whatever the person is um, talking about their trauma, they would be able to have a pretty good idea. I'm an experienced psychologist, has probably been doing this for a number of years. They've probably heard about a lot of um, problems that have gone on. So they would have a pretty good idea. Obviously not as straight away as the person walks in. Um, because, you know what, I, I'll say something here. I remember when I was training as, as a psychologist, and I used to say to people, oh, I'm training to be a psychologist. The first thing they would say to me, oh, so you know what I'm thinking? I would say, well, actually, no, I don't know what you're thinking. But if I was to ask you a few questions, I might be able to know what you're thinking. And thirdly, uh, I'm not going to tell you what you're thinking unless you pay me for that. <laughs> you know, this is what my <laughs> this is what my um, uh, tutor said that she says. And I thought, wow, that's so good. She goes, wherever I go, I say I'm a psychologist. They say, can you tell me what I'm thinking? I say, I can tell you what you're thinking after you've paid me and after I've asked you a lot of questions. <laughs> So, um, yeah, so when the person starts talking, um, a psychologist would have a pretty good idea of um, what it is that a person might be going through, but they have a way of how they ask the questions. It's not always the questions that I've asked, but it's how they ask the questions as well. They have a good way of trying to extract information out of somebody. And sometimes if there's a silence, you know, silence is good between, yes. uh, between a question, silence is good. But sometimes if that silence becomes longer, say, for example, it's 30 seconds and 30 seconds might not seem like a long time. But you, when you're having a session with somebody and it's gone silent, 30 seconds seems really long. And at that stage, the psychologist would just say to somebody, you know, if they're stuck or they don't know what to say, or if they do even know what to say, but they just don't want to share it. It's just the way the processing, Or the processing what has been said. Yeah. And, but the psychologist would be able to intervene in a really good and positive way. You know, sometimes they might be able to say, you know what, somebody in a similar situation to you, you know, had this, this or this, and this is how they might have dealt with it. Or I know where you're coming from. Is there something else that, you know, is also affecting you? It's just the kind of questions and how they ask the questions that they can still trigger that um, person to start sharing again. You know, so that silence doesn't be, stay silent for too long. But yeah, the, the, the talking therapies and uh, the psychologists and therapists are really, really, really good. And they would know what, where you're coming from and they would definitely try to help you to resolve or overcome some of the issues. Last words of encouragement would you give our listeners today? Okay, so our topic today was violence against women and girls uh, at the hands of other women. Yeah. So what I would say in relation to that and in relation to um, domestic uh, abuse generally, my last parting words would be, one, you're not alone. You know what? There's always somebody that you can talk to. If, it's, if you don't have a family member, you don't have a neighbour, remember, you might still have the school teacher. Remember, you might still have the receptionist at the doctor's surgery. Remember, you might still have the doctor himself. Remember, you might be able to go into the bank and just speak to somebody who's at reception. And more so, what I would say is, it's never your fault. Don't ever think that violence is your fault because it's never your fault. It's always the fault of the perpetrator. And don't ever put up with it that long. You know, how many times do women put up with something? Oh, it'll get better. Oh, it'll get better. Oh, he doesn't mean to do this. He does really love me. You know, um, I'm staying here for the sake of the kids. I would say don't make excuses for that bad behaviour and don't look for excuses to stay in that relationship. 
if you've tried, you've tried once, you've tried twice, don't keep trying. And you know what? The sooner you get out of an abusive relationship, the better. I think in hindsight, I wish I'd got out of it sooner than I did too. As women, I think with that we should be championing each other and lifting each other up instead of taking shreds out of each other. If we actually have some unity between us, then it would be harder for men to get away with some of the abuse that they are getting away with. Instead of overlooking or encouraging our sons, brothers, etc. to abuse women, we should be telling them that this behaviour isn't tolerable. As women, we could actually break a lot of this pattern of violence towards other women. We may not be physically hitting each other, but we are fueling some of the violence that men are doing towards other women. The verbal, the emotional, the psychological, the financial abuse can be just as bad, actually sometimes even worse. So, all the women who are listening to this right now, let's look at our own behaviours. Let's all be much more supportive and encouraging for each other. Let's look out for our sisterhood, like we actually really should. You're much appreciated, Bushra. Thank you so much for sharing with us your personal experiences. Thank you so much for having me here and allowing me to share this. And I hope, you know, somebody out there who's listening can actually benefit from this, from both of us. If you've benefited from this episode, kindly share, comment, subscribe and leave a review. It's been your host, Grace Opa for Raza. Rising above shadows of abuse. See you soon and bye for now.